Welcome to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book, with Susie Chase. She's just a home cook in New York City, sitting at her dining room table, talking to cookbook authors. My name's Tenny Flynn. I'm the chef of G.W. Finn's Fine Dining Seafood Restaurant in New Orleans, where we have just started our 18th year of business. Um, and we're going to talk about my cookbook, The Deep End of Flavor. Inspired by vibrant flavors of New Orleans and tropical climates, you have included your favorite techniques for creating fabulous seafood-centered meals in this cookbook. So let's dive in. Get it? Dive in. Anyway. Okay. I, I do like to dive. <laughs> I know. Um, yeah, we're definitely going to talk about that. But I'm so happy that you're talking about looking beyond salmon and tilapia. I think it's safe to say we're all slightly sick of salmon and tilapia, right? Well, I'm not sick of tilapia because I don't eat it. I don't recognize its existence. Um, (laughs) But that's easier for me to do in New Orleans. Um, And I, I think I say something in the book like there's always a better choice than tilapia, no matter where you are. Either in the in the frozen or the, or the fresh section, salmon. Um, I like salmon, um, and if I lived in the Pacific Northwest, I would have nothing but wild salmon. But it's my experience that even if I'm willing to pay the money for these wild varieties, um, by the time they get east, they're not really worth it. I um, I'm perfectly happy with with high quality farm raised Atlantic salmon. We usually buy it from Ireland or Scotland. And I've got recipes. I've got a recipe in the book that's great for that. Uh, it's cold smoked and grilled, and it's it's made believers out of a lot of people. But seventy percent of our menu uh, at Finns is out of the Gulf of Mexico, and and the Gulf of Mexico supplies sixty six percent of the edible fin fish varieties in the U.S. Which you know you can tell it right away. If it's sixty six percent, that's more than the East Coast, the West Coast, Alaska, and Hawaii put together. Uh, Alaska has more tonnage. But we certainly have more varieties. I don't like fish, but I like your fish. I was about to say, you're telling me you don't like fish. I take that as a as a personal challenge. No, that's a uh, quote that you hear so I, much. I do, and I, I like it. And, and usually uh, those people come from places where fish isn't readily available. Uh, certainly, I grew up with bad fish. Um, it used to come in these oblong boxes. I actually thought fish was oblong. And my mother would thaw it out, and then she would, you know, ruin it one way or another. And and it wasn't that good. I defy anyone to not like any number of recipes, but just the simple sautéed manier, which is one of the first recipes in the book. Just a little salt and pepper, dust and flour, sauté in a little oil and butter mixture, pour a little brown butter over the top. I mean, there's nothing not to like. I've enjoyed, you know, making believers out of... uh, out of people. And I think people are much more adventurous uh, in trying new species than they were, you know, 20 or 30 years ago. So you're an avid diver and spearfisher, and you even have a recipe for ceviche lionfish in this cookbook. Describe this. Well, it's a, it's a very simple ceviche. Um, I don't like the kind where, you know, it's highly acidic and sort of tastes pickled. So this particular recipe is basically half lime juice, half orange juice, a little shallot, a little salt, a little hot chili, and then I, I smash the, the fish out flat. Lionfish is a very tender fish. Um, it's rather neutrally flavored. And then just sort of pour that sauce over it, let it sit for a minute or two, rather than 
you know, letting it sit in the in the acid for long, long periods of time. We also have a deep fried lionfish uh, recipe in there that's uh, that's very, very good. It's a great fish that lends itself to uh, to quick saute and uh, and uh, tempura frying uh, very, very handily. And then sticking them is considered good citizenship. You're supposed to kill everyone you see. And the only way to harvest them so far is uh, recreational divers hand spearing them. Where can you find them? They're basically they're moving they're moving up the east coast. They're good at depths that humans can't go to. They can't take anything uh, much under fifty degrees. So that's going to keep them out of the keep them out of New York probably. They're very adaptable. They have uh, fourteen venomous spines that surround their body. They're beautiful fish. You might have seen them in aquariums. Um, they're aquarium escapees. They're not native to this hemisphere. And they escaped, and they eat everything, and nothing eats them. A couple of months ago, there was a lionfish rodeo in the Florida Panhandle. They got 15,000 fish. So your roots are in Stone Mountain, Georgia. Tell me about your father's restaurant. Well, it's uh, even the name of my father's restaurant uh, um, is unusual um, in 2019. But you have to realize this was the 60s. It was a different world. It was still a segregated society. And it was called the Plantation Restaurant. There were also, uh, in Atlanta at that time, uh, there was Mammy's Shanty, Aunt Fanny's Cabin, Pity Pet's Porch. I mean, it was a genre of restaurants. And, you know, having gotten past that, the restaurant itself was this giant, sprawling entity. And we fried uh, enough chicken to fill the Superdome. Part of it was, uh, was family dining. And then there was another side of it that it was a dry county, which meant that there was no alcohol sold anywhere there. But you could get a state charter that enabled you to have a private club. You could sell liquor, you know, to the club members. So that was kind of an unusual thing at the time. And that end of the restaurant was more of a chop house kind of menu, slightly, uh, slightly more upscale. But I started working in the, in the kitchen there when I was about nine years old. And worked in the kitchen until I was 15. I wanted to go out on the floor and make tips. And then I started working a service bar when I was 16 because nobody could see me. Tell me about G.W. Finn's, where you cook now. G.W. Finn's is a fine dining seafood restaurant, kind of on a steakhouse frame. Uh, We just started our 18th year in the French Quarter. Even at 18 years, we're always going to be the new guy on the block. Because we're across the street from uh, Arnaud's, which is 100 years old. And around the corner on the other side of the block from Galatoire's, which I think is about 105 years old. It's a modern restaurant. It's a big space. It's a big warehouse space. We have about 220 seats. And since I had spent 10 years in the steakhouse business, it's not real surprising that uh, the kitchen design was kind of modeled after a steakhouse. Um, We don't use heat lamps or plate covers there's a lot of open space, so all the food has to come up and go out immediately. So we use a timing system, kind of like a steakhouse. Um, and fish is, uh, you know, when it's cooked to point, when it's ready to go, it has to go. We drop first course in five minutes and entrees in 20 minutes, and the cooks are all cooking to that 20 minutes. Uh, we typically have 12 to 14 fin fish on the menu uh, as I mentioned, 70% of those come out of the Gulf of Mexico. And we have a variety of preparations, uh, very little fried stuff. We, I deep fry soft shell crabs. I think that's the way, to, the way to do them. And we have some fried garnishes, but most of it, it's pretty much divided between sautéed, wood-grilled, broiled, and 
the executive chef, Mike Nelson, has been with me for 14 years. He's been executive chef for the last two years. He's a very inventive cat. He's, uh, he's much more creative than I am. Uh, and we've evolved some of the simple items over the years. We've done a kitchen remodel. We're able to do some things we couldn't do before. So it's a pretty exciting kitchen. And one of the most exciting things about it is that we print the menu every day about 4 o'clock. We receive all our fish in the whole state, and we kick them back, and we call up. And, you know, it's, we still reject a lot of fish from people we've been buying from since we've opened because we look at every fish, and they, they buy it in vats. Everyone always sends us the best of what they have. We have full-time butchers uh, every day, and uh, Chef Mike has uh, kind of made it his shtick to go nose to tail. One reason is respecting the animal. Um, he's really done some very, very interesting things with uh, with using whole, whole carcasses. John T. Edge, author of The Pot Liquor Papers, A Food History of the Modern South, wrote about how you talked trash fish early on. What is trash fish? Just an underutilized species that people don't, you know, it's sort of out of their, their comfort zone or their, you know, their field of knowledge. Um, we'll buy anything, you know, that we can, um, bycatch, you know, small amounts of things, uh, and things we've never heard of before. We had conger eel the other day. I'd never, never tasted conger eel. What's and that? It was, it was just a huge sea eel. Um, the bone structure was challenging, but the, the meat was really, really good. So when you see something like conger eel that you've never seen before, what does that mean? Well, it's just, uh, I mean, the, the ocean is full of, you know, thousands and thousands of different different species. And these are things that are caught accidentally. Bycatch just means it was caught accidentally. You know, they're targeting one species and they then they caught another. They don't usually want that because they have to stop and throw it over the side. As long as it's fresh, we'll buy it. We'll see what we can do with it. And that's a lot of fun. Let's talk about conservation. You say, think sustainable by domestic. As a home cook, what sort of fish should I be buying at the grocery store and what should I stay away from? Well, different, uh, different states have different laws uh, uh, governing uh, country of origin. In general, all the way across the board, the United States um, has good fishery laws. You know, nobody likes regulations. Uh, the commercial fishermen don't like them. The recreational fishermen don't like them. The various uh, green groups don't like them. Nobody is perfectly happy uh, with the regulatory process, but that's why we have a healthy fish population. Um, and I've I've been diving places that that either had no rules or the rules were not enforced, and there's no fish. There was a, uh, a seafood, uh, there's a seafood uh, contest here every year uh, um, where chefs from coastal, well, actually 25 or 30 states, so I think there were some freshwater fish involved too. Anyway, there was a chef from Guam whose dish was uh, parrotfish, and I've dove in Guam, and the only reason anybody eats parrotfish is they've eaten everything else. I was a little bit perturbed at that. Um, certainly in, in BVI and in, in Honduras, um, they have very lax or easily circumvented regulations. While I was looking through the cookbook for something to cook, I saw on page 133 that you have a recipe for frog legs. I just can't understand the appeal. Please explain. 
I, I, I don't understand what your uh, what your objection to them is. Do you like do are they cute little frogs or are they gross frogs or why I you just like frogs? um I just can't imagine first of all that there's any meat on the leg. It just seems t- like how many frog legs do you have to eat to get a decent amount of meat for let's say an appetizer? Well, the uh, the ones I prefer are pinky finger sized, so I'd give you about six or eight of them, or about you know three or four pairs. Um, the ones that are that are thumb and and first knuckle or or the base of your thumb sized, uh, you have to cook a little bit longer. You have to braise them. I think in the book too, I talk about uh, a particular customer that I cooked frog legs for, who also cooked a lot of other much weirder stuff than frog legs, which is uh, recently passed away, Mac Rebinac, Dr. John. He was convinced to the core of his being that the reason why he was alive and kicking was he only ate wild food. <laughs> well, he's not alive and kicking anymore, so well, I don't know. He was a 77-year-old rock and roll musician that shot heroin for 40 years, so... Uh, that that's like dog years with for the normal population. Yeah, he had a good run. And we love our characters in New Orleans and he certainly was one. On Saturday night, I made your recipe for shrimp sauteed in barbecue butter with goat cheese grits and warm sourdough bread to sop up all the buttery goodness. Describe this dish. Well, calling it barbecue shrimp is a New Orleans thing. It it's not really barbecued, but it's uh and, and our recipe is a compound butter, uh, which makes it easier to uh, standardize the level of seasoning. So you get domestic shrimp, season them, saute them lightly, deglaze with a little beer, and then mount this compound butter in there to make a creamy sauce. Um, and then uh, dip your bread in and eat them up. How did you enjoy it? It was amazing. And I really, I don't like grits, I have to admit. But the goat cheese brought it to a whole different level. Well, I think hominy grits, uh, the long-cooked variety, um, it's, it's a neutral medium. And you can uh, there's a recipe in the book for a, a risotto made with, with pozole instead of rice. Um, kind of a, a riff on some stuff that I ate in Oaxaca. And, and that's the, if dried pozzoli ground up is grits. And that's the same flavor that's in your, your corn tortillas, your taco chips. Uh, you know, it's a underlying flavor in a tremendous amount of, of Mexican cuisine. So how was it working with Susan Puckett? Susan's a hoot. Um, we're, we're both from the South, uh, which New Orleans is not really the South. It's kind of like the northernmost outpost of the islands. It's, it's a whole lot more like Dominican Republic or Haiti than Mississippi or Alabama. Susan is from Mississippi. She's very Southern. Uh, she was the food editor of the Atlanta Journal, and we know lots and lots of people in common. So, uh, And I think Susan is a much better cook than she was when we started. Uh, she tested a lot of the recipes, and that's that's a point, too, that that was a very tedious process, but these are all tested recipes for the home cook. I think if somebody goes to the trouble and expense of buying the cookbook and buying the ingredients for the recipe, and if they follow the recipe, you know, it should work. And there's certainly a lot of untested recipes out there that don't work, so hopefully all these do. 
you know, and, and there you follow the steps that, you know, you'll come up with a good result. Now to my segment this season called My Favorite Cookbook. Aside from this cookbook, what is your all-time favorite cookbook and why? There's a canning, pickling, and preserving cookbook that I use a lot called Putting Food By, which is a, a, a reference book that I use a lot. And, and a lot of books I, I just like to read for not so much for recipes, but just for, you know, the, the stories. And, the, and that's why I enjoy putting stories in, uh, in our book. Where can we find you on the web and social media? Chef Tenney, T-E-N-N-E-Y, at Facebook, um, and GWFins.com. You've shown us that cooking fish can be as easy as frying an egg. Thanks so much for coming on Cookery by the Book podcast. Well, thanks so much for having me. I can't wait to listen to myself. Subscribe over on cookerybythebook.com. And thanks for listening to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book.